Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Product-Led Summit. I am so excited to share with you Mario. And Mario is leading product growth at OutSystems. And I've known Mario for quite some time now. And every time we get on a chat, I'm always so excited to hear what he's up to at OutSystems because over the years, they have done a massive transformation of really going from a pure sales-led company to launching a freemium model and you would be surprised to hear the number of experiments and engineers they have working on just how they can leverage their users and really help them become successful in building that product-led moat for their business. And so, Mario, before we really dig into the nitty-gritty of today's topic, which is how you can create a product-led movement inside your sales-led company, can you just give us some background on what OutSystem does and how you actually came to play an important role in the product growth at OutSystems? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you and sharing uh, whatever we can with the community. It's uh, an amazing community. And thank you, Wes, for, for nurturing us all. And that leads to one of the learnings that we had I'll share later. OutSystems offers a platform to enable teams to build applications, essentially. So to build applications fast, build applications that are fit for purpose for the need. And, uh, and so we exist sort of to make every company to act like a cloud software company. You know, think Amazon that is publishing things into production every minute or so. It's minute, hour, whatever the number is, it's impressive. Not every company in the world has the technology depth, the know-how to do that. And our platform aims at enabling all companies to do that. Anyway, that's that about the company. I don't want to make this a, a pitch or anything. I've been in the company for 12 years, always connected to specific growth problems, I've been a consultant, a trainer. I've been in product management, product marketing, uh, not sales yet or finance. But uh, so we outgrew ourselves. And so growth has been always a challenge for us, not just growth as in demand generation or, or, uh, but growing as a company that uh, is facing problems that we weren't prepared to solve. And that happens every three months for us, uh, fortunately, I guess. And yeah, so that's that's it about the sort of the company and my my path. The reason why we decided to think about product-led growth started with this code name maybe a year ago. It's like our anniversary uh, in January. Actually, the inception was in October, but the actual kickoff was in January. And uh, we've been powering through it. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. I'll tell you that. Yeah. And I'm happy you mentioned that too, because whenever like I interview folks who are making this transition from sales that are product led, a lot of people think in their head, maybe before they make this transition, it's like, it's pretty quick. Like it's might take a month or something, just launch a free trial and that's, that's it. But no, there's so much more behind the scenes. And this is something that can take uh, many, many years for you to really, truly embrace the product-led mentality and mindset amongst every team, because it, it can definitely start in like one team and grow slowly, but the goal is to get everyone on board with this. So I'm curious to hear, like you mentioned, it's been about one year that has been like official within the business. And I know we were even chatting before that. So you have been cooking on this earlier than that. <laughs> yeah, 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 so, yeah. What really to you stood out when you were thinking like, hey, this is something that 
we really need to do as a business? What were like those main reasons? What were you, what kept you up at night around this whole concept of the way we're doing things right now just doesn't work, or maybe it's not sustainable? What was the thinking? Yeah, that's a good question. I like to, Seth Godin, there's a quote, I don't remember the exact words, but he he often says that uh, it's not art if it's not in the hands of the users. I think he was talking about publishing a book or something. It doesn't really matter if you have the book written. If if it's not available, it's not art. And um, I am very passionate. We at OutSystems, we are very passionate about what we create, the product that we're creating. We're we're on a mission, right? And uh, not going to go into details of, what it is and what not, but it's about improving the productivity of other software engineers like us that are struggling day in, day out. So we've always had this product. We've always had this product for free, always. I mean, four or five years. We never looked at it from the potential that it could have. And, you know, we look at Zoom and Dropbox and all those companies that have millions of users using it and all of that. And that was sort of, there's something that we can do now. Why now? You know, we were having this product available for free. And now there are lots of companies that are doing this. And so it's a great timing. There are a lot of people thinking about this. And uh, we can just think with them. We can just join those communities, take on that challenge. And that's sort of the altruistic reason for it. There's obviously another reason related with how this can potentially help grow the company, grow the technology adoption, which in turn will, you know, grow the valuation of the company and all those good things that in real life are important for us to get sponsorship to actually embrace something like this. So um, this is it. We decided to start Explore. So a cohort, a very like three or four people got in a meeting room to discuss, what if we start thinking about this? And we, we started to think about that and studying other companies, talking to people. We invited you to go in and do this workshop. And that was the inception. And from then on, I can go into details if you'd like. From that point on, we started to get excited and we started selling, selling inside the company, that that would be a good way to go. And how did you sell within the company? Because I imagine like for the CEO to the even associates and marketing team, like there's a lot of different ways you got to sell. And the motivation amongst every team is different. And so how did you go about that? Getting everyone on board? Yeah, that's a good one. So we started this and I specifically remember us, the team that started this, having this conversation. So we're going to do this. We're going to start looking at this. We're not going to tell anyone It's just something that we're going to do here on the side to see if it works. And our goal was really to get adoption up. The more people use the product, the more people will helping and good things will come from it for the company. So we started modeling the potential. Like, so if we do this, we believe that we're going to be growing like this and so on. And we got really excited about what we were seeing in the theoretical model that uh, we had where we're going to need more support if we really wanted to move the needle. So we went to the CEO and we presented it to him. And then the CEO bought in immediately the, the idea and he supported us and he supported us and we started selling to the other departments like sales, customer success, engineering. And we did that with, uh, I guess, the most important artifact. The most important artifact that we used was a narrative that we created, a one-pager, very similar to 
Tesla's master plan, if you're familiar with it. So Elon Musk created the Tesla master plan. It's going to build a sports car that's going to sponsor another car, cheaper but still expensive, and then build a car that everyone can afford and whatnot and save the planet, something along those lines. And we had that. It was very crisp and clear. And people anchored on that and uh, felt inspired by it. And then, you know, it, it didn't take long for us to get five or six people to run the first actual initiatives, actually inspired again by a workshop. So we, we were all inspired. We were all already fired up with ideas on how to improve onboarding, self-service onboarding, and all of that stuff in the product. So we started there. And, uh, you know, right now we are, I don't know, over a couple of hundred people uh, just looking at this at the moment. Awesome. And so maybe we could take a step back to the beginning of the free version about systems, because mm-hmm. some people listening might be thinking, you know, that's that's kind of unique. They were already freemium, like from the beginning. And then this is just like putting the, the pedal on the gas. So I want to hear your thoughts around. So what was the initial attention of launching the free version about systems? And then why did it take I think you mentioned like three or five years before you really started saying like, we need to be product-led, like this isn't good enough, just having a free option. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, we are a sales-led, or still a sales-led organization. We sell to large companies, you know, like, I'm not going to just make up names, but uh, Disney or, you know, big companies. And selling to, or, or also retail banks are customers. We have many of those. Selling to these companies, is a, it's a top-down sale, right? It is what it is. A bank is not going to create an, a home banking application without systems or with any technology out there without going through serious evaluation, security assessments, and all that. So our product was always, and that's fine. We built the product to support these complex needs from these big companies. However, as part of the evaluation, developers architects, et cetera, really wanted to put their hands in, in the product first. That there's, there's always a time where they, this executive sponsor that sends this to the technical team for evaluation. The free edition helped us. The one that we had was optimized to help these folks get their feet wet and you know, kick the tires of it, always supported by someone. It was always someone hand-holding them through the process. So not very product-led, you know, if you think about optimizing for self-service, right? It's different. Then we realized that some folks were getting into the site and to the product without us inviting. So they were playing with it on their own without us knowing why or whatever, if there was an initiative there or an opportunity there. So that's a missed opportunity for us. The more we were getting those, the more we were realizing that we weren't catering for that self-service need. So I guess we had a free version, but the principles under which the free version was created were not the principles that we need to be successful in a product-led growth world where everything is self-service and you can get to value without talking to anyone. I guess the definition of self-service anyway, but yeah. does, does this help? 
No, that definitely helps because like I'm trying to map out the steps that you took around creating that product of movement inside a sales-led company. But I'm glad you mentioned that component because for me, like that's kind of the ground zero of what that product-led movement was, even if you didn't recognize it or not. It's like, hey, for those listening, if you have completely like only thing on your website is like a demo request. Maybe that first step for you could be creating a product experience where people could just go in and play, use the product, experience it on their own. And that will allow them to get their feet wet and be more confident in that buying situation because they have vetted your product. But then the next step you mentioned was really just improving adoption. So, okay, like you you got that free edition. Maybe you start putting on the marketing sites and getting more people using it. But then... You can take a little bit of a bigger swing and really improve that adoption. And then you went from that small start to then trying to get buy-in from the CEO. And after you got buy-in from the CEO, what did you do then? Yeah, obviously buy-in from the CEO, we used two very strong arguments there. One argument was time to value is critical for users, for customers to be successful in self-service. So this path needs to be friction-free. This needs to be short, needs to be impressive. Regardless if you're a product-led growth company or a sales-led company, it doesn't really matter. This time to value is going to yield results either way. So this was a no-brainer, right? And how did you come to that conclusion that like time to value was one of the big issues that you needed to solve first? Ah, we just uh, looked at the data. We really digged into uh, hundreds of customer examples and we really quantified the time it took for someone, on our case, to start the development of an application and taking it live to a point where there are actually application end users using it. And so let's imagine hypothetically, the numbers were not bad. If you consider the complexity of the applications that we're talking about, but we are much more ambitious than the numbers. So data was critical there. So we looked at that and it's like, regardless, even if we fail with this product-led transition, which is still our ambition, the results to the product are going to be good either way, right? We can fail to go to market strategy, but the improvements to the product, the direction that we want to take the product, which is users getting to value sooner is, I guess, a good side effect an awesome side effect if we can if we can nail that. So that was one of the arguments. Then the other one was the potential that we still see as this being another layer of growth for a company that is already growing. And I always remember a post from Anderson Horowitz where he talks about growth in companies like layers of a cake. Right? There's, for example, the sales-led side of the business, the partner side of the business, whatever you might have. So product-led can be a layer that you add to, to your cake. For those listening, if that makes sense, that's how we thought about it. And the risk wasn't very high compared to the potential that we're still seeing, either by improving the product or by dramatically uh, improving our ability to expand. Yeah. And I like how you are looking at this from the risk angle. Uh, I forget what book it was, but it's like this billionaire real estate Mongol kind of guy, a really fun 
humble dude. And it's basically whole premise of the book is like, you know, if you're going to get great at what you're doing in real estate or any other business, it really just comes down to identifying good and bad risks. And good risks ah. have like low risk, but high reward. Bad risks have like a ton of risk potential and very low reward. So I think this is a perfect example of this when it comes to becoming product that there is risk, no doubt, but the reward can really outweigh that if things go well. And so I'm curious to hear what risk were you potentially worried about when you're making this transition? I want to share in our position as a sales-led company, we're not optimized for scale, as in we're not getting thousands of new subscriptions, paid subscriptions every, every week or whatever. And so we're optimized for premium service. The customer comes in, and there's a team helping the customer get onboarded and, and successful and, and whatnot. So the number one risk is related with scale. Scale with a, a number of different perspectives. Like, would our support team be able to suddenly support hundreds of thousands of free users uh, using the product? Would our infrastructure support that type of growth? Would our finance department be able to process that many orders? So that, that, level, that level, I remember talking to someone at uh, Datadog and they were telling me that at some point in time, so Datadog obviously wasn't anticipating all that growth. This was like seven months, eight months ago, maybe. Datadog wasn't anticipating all this growth. And at some point in time, I don't want to lie, but you know, I think it was like above 60 or 70% of the people on staff were customer support. Imagine this. And so we were sort of looking at that. Then there's, there's obviously another more strategic risk if you're thinking about the valuation of your company and the promises that you make to the board and investors, which is your average deal size. In our situation where we're selling to big companies, strategic sales and whatnot, it's only natural that we think, okay, are we going to suddenly have a product at the $5 a month price point? Is that sustainable for us and whatnot? So all of that is still something that we have to navigate and optimize as we go on the journey. Yeah. And I'm so happy you mentioned uh, all those different points because there is support. Like that's a huge risk of, let's say you have a very complicated product or something like that, that requires a lot of assistance for people to get value out of it. Yeah. That can definitely be overwhelming. There's of course other ways to automate it. I've seen a lot of product led companies for their self-serve kind of plans. It's like, it's just email only or something like that versus, you know, we'll, we'll hop on a call and do that kind of premium service support. The infrastructure is like, without a doubt, you are going to have to level that up. The finance, that's interesting. You mentioned that from like the ACV perspective, like you're going to be hunting smaller fish in this world yeah. and they're going to be able to upgrade potentially without talking to anyone. So there's like really big pieces there and then the average deal size might go down. But how did you navigate that? Like there was for sure a ton of risk on each of those fronts, but how did you kind of rationalize it for some of those teams when you were trying to get buy-in from them? Because for instance, mm-hmm. you go to support, be like, hey, like you want in on this? <laughs> it's like, you're going to have to probably figure out how to work smarter without being like rude. <laughs> 
because it's like the way you're doing it just won't work for this scale. We're not quite there yet, but there's going to be some big growing pains in your department. Same thing for sales. I know sales teams initially they're the most resistance against being product-led. So they start seeing the product data until they start getting to just focus on the bigger deals where they add more value. And um, then they become big advocates of it. So I'm curious, like, how did you go from each of the teams and really tell them, like, here's the risk, and then help them really come to their own conclusion around like, hey, this would be potentially like a great opportunity for us to really help more people with our product, uh, help maybe even grow our organization, like and support that case. <laughs> Some ambitious leaders might be into that. So I'm curious, how did you go through that and get buy-in from the rest of the people once you got the CEO on board? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So early on, we anchored on this notion that we want to continue to grow at a hyper growth rate. Let's assume 100%. So we want to continue to grow 100% year on year. And that's, I guess, no one will argue with you. Like, hey, would you like the company to grow 100% year on year? There's no argument. Everybody wants that, right? And in this culture, in this particular company, people are ambitious and missionary. So we anchored on that. I am not suggesting that this would work in other companies or whatever, but this is an undisputable goal. Everyone wants this. Obviously, for example, as you were asking the question, I was uh, writing down real quick some of the things that were coming to my mind. For example, sales were afraid to lose control of the deals, right? Suddenly this goes into that self-service motion and we're not controlling, we're not hand-holding and whatnot. And uh, we collected a number of data points to help the sales team understand that some people really don't want to be contacted by sales. We do have still today people that answer nurture emails saying, hey, let me be. I want to do this alone. I don't want sales. I don't want to talk to sales. No, I don't want to talk to sales and so on. Please unsubscribe. I don't want to, you know, you guys are bugging me and whatnot. And so this could actually become a good experience. Again, sales will not argue with you if you say, hey, we're going to grow 100% year on year. There's that. Then support and engineering were two interesting department areas that kind of overlap in an interesting way. Support needs to be able to support more users, and we cannot scale the number of people in support as you know proportionally to growth. So we had to create a partnership between support and engineering and so as this grows, engineering will support you make automating a lot of the stuff that you have to do potentially manually, detecting when customers are, when some instances are having troubles and automatically fixing them and whatnot. So there was this interesting partnership. Engineering was the easiest one. Engineers, our engineers at least, really love the product that they're building. They want the product to be used. So just really telling them, look, Hundreds of thousands of people are going to be using the product that you built to make their lives as developers easier. So that was easy. Marketing is an interesting one. And I'm going to talk more broadly than out systems here. I've been talking to lots of people in marketing. The sales-led motion is you know, a lot of account-based marketing, very specific tactics and just anchoring on bringing in decision makers, the buyers, the buyer persona and whatnot. Bottoms-up marketing is, is a lot different. It requires another level of scale. 
And that's something that I believe sales-led companies are not equipped to do. So it helps bringing in someone from the B2C world to your team that is accustomed to working with that scale. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I don't want to be rambling too much. I, I tried to cover three or four, actually four examples of this. Finance, we're not there yet. So uh, they're supporting us, again, because they believe on the goal. 100% growth year on year, that's a good goal. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say like finance isn't completely on board too, but like they are supporting you in different ways. Oh, that's not what I meant. Salaries of like all the optimization. Yeah. So finance doesn't have a problem yet, right? So because they they don't have a problem of like a a scale problem yet with this motion, then they're they're fine. They're supporting us and they're not against it. And, uh, you know, they've been extremely supportive for us, especially financing all of the stuff that we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. Because uh, do you just want to like give us a glimpse under the kimono, like the difference in investment or even just the teams you have dedicated towards this? Because I remember like when we were doing the workshop, I think it was about a year and a half ago now. And there was this, you kept bringing it up to me a couple of times. You're like, you know what? These people are... Like they're coming here for this workshop, but then they they have to do all their other stuff for their current job. And it's just like, it felt like there was just this extra added burden yeah. to them to really uh, go ahead with this product-led motion. And so that was when I came in. But then since then, you have a lot more full-time people focused on just this motion and how can we get this within more teams and how can we optimize it? So I'm curious to hear like the stages of the teams and the dedication internally and how that all worked. That's an interesting point. It's like we were asking people to have one and a half jobs, right? At that time, we were like three or four in the beginning thinking through this two full-time, actually. I remember that. It was me and Manuel. And then we created, we agreed with marketing and I believe engineering to create a small pod where we would be trying to improve the conversion rates from you know visitor to sign up, from sign up to setting up the account or whatever it was at the time. This was a small pod. It was a cross-functional team. All they did was this. And so we, we managed to get that. It took us... I don't know, two months to run our first experiment. And then after this, you know, setting up, buying the right tooling, setting up the measurements, the data and whatnot, it took us really a long time. But, you know, three months in, we were running like 15, 20 experiments at the same time, sharing results with everyone at the company. I remember we were using, we were sharing this on a biweekly meeting that then became a every six weeks meeting and it was open, everyone in the company could join, we wouldn't advertise it, right? It wasn't strategy. We just didn't want to bother people. If they they heard it, they would join. Suddenly, we had 100 people coming in from all parts of the globe, listening and, and making comments and suggesting ideas. So this sort of created this movement where people were seeing results and were excited about it, wanted to contribute, and, uh, you know, there's no doubt in our mind, in my particular and the teams, that this is the way to go. And we're going to persevere and we're going to power through. There were challenges. There were things that didn't go well, things that are going well. 
And right now we have full commitment from multiple teams. It's uh, one of the top three priorities of the company. And so compare three people with perhaps 200 right now in a year, uh, if you want a sort of a, an order of magnitude there or a conversion rate, uh, yeah. adoption rate, I guess. There's the internal adoption rate. Exactly. There's the <laughs> like internal that. adoption Focus rate. Focus initially, you're focused on the external product adoption, like getting those results, quick wins. And then there is the end part, which is mostly internal. So I'm actually breaking it down. So I'm going to recap the steps now of how you made this transition from uh, sales out to product out. And I mean, it's still in the process, uh, but it's awesome that you are just like open to sharing all this because I mean, there's going to be tons of people listening to this and just in the weeds or maybe at the beginning of the journey. And so seeing more of a clear path around this is going to be super helpful. So quote me if I'm wrong on this, but here's the, the five steps if you're going to go through this transition and try and do it for yourself. So the first one was really focus on getting that free demo. Really just make it easy for someone to really go into your product and explore it. It doesn't have to be a front-facing free trial or freemium model like Mario was sharing. It could be something as simple as, uh, you know, whenever someone's in a sales sequence and they ask for a demo, like you could actually just start with giving them that free account. It can be all manually set up, but just let them test it out and see for themselves. That's one place to start. Now, the second stage after that, step two, is really get some of those wins internally. And maybe a precursor before that too is make sure you have the right measurements in place to really go in and say with confidence that this is exactly what happened because we focused on um, that product adoption, or maybe it's something different that you found is like that beachhead, that small win that you can really prove to folks that, hey, if we keep motivating and focusing on this one piece, we're going to see some great results from that end. And then Step three is really try and get the upper management on board, ideally the CEO, but ideally everyone on the executive suite to really buy into this because it's going to be an uphill battle if you don't have management on board, not just from getting like resources and more time to dedicate towards this, but it's going to make things easier for you. And it might even make it feel like you're pushing a ball down a hill versus up one, because I've been in a situation myself where I'm trying to help a company make this transition and the executive team wasn't on board. It's awful. <laughs> it's very hard to do. So what I love that you did, Mario, is you really looked at, okay, what does this CEO want? Like they really want 100% your, your growth. How can we tie this into that as something that's very strategic for them to really take a bite out of and really want more of? And so step three, once you got the management on board, what you're going to try and do is get the rest of the teams on board. And so you mentioned, Mario, like for marketing, there's the big difference of going from a top-down marketing approach to more bottoms up. So maybe instead of just having that demo request on the site, maybe you start leading with the free trial or freemium model. As soon as you start really seeing that there's good product adoption, good results there, but it doesn't have to be like all at once. I don't recommend that. Scale it slowly. And engineering. 
maybe partnering them up with support and really making sure that, you know, you are identifying those potential risks. Think about each of these teams. What could go wrong? What are their risks when it comes to this? Support has a big one. There could be thousands of thousands of tickets where they feel swamped. They feel like they're swimming in tickets. That's no fun. Find that solution for them. And so maybe that is just as simple as getting those engineers to help them identify those problems, maybe those recurring problems and tickets and helping them fix that. And so that's step four, get those teams on board and bought into the mission and really motivate them around that. And step five is if you want sustainable results as you're making this transition, you're eventually going to need to make a pot and really identify who are those A players who can move this forward consistently and create some incredible results for your team. And when you do get that, uh, what I noticed you've done is you took bigger swings. And so you had that pod together, you started with a couple experiments, then you quickly scaled it as soon as you started seeing more and more results. So did I miss anything out of those five steps? I know there was a couple of steps in between, but I feel like that covered the big pieces. Is there anything else you'd add to that? Not really. There are a lot of nuances to each of these, but I, I think you, I don't know how you do this uh, from a conversation, <laughs> make it better than I could, uh, than I could potentially say, you know, I'd, I'd like to say this, you know, I'm, I'm um, more than happy to answer any questions that you folks listening might have. I'm on the product led Slack community group. So, you know, reach out. There are no divas at out systems. We're very much happy to learn from everyone and learn from everyone and share our learnings. So it's, uh, it's been a good ride there. I'm um, not sure how we are in timing, but at, if not now, at some point in time, talking about some of the mistakes we did would be, would be probably interesting, but, but maybe, yeah, maybe that's, let's hear it. What would you do differently? Like you've been at this for over, I know you said just a year, but it's been longer than that. Yeah, it's a year, <laughs> a year and four, so it was one year, three months plus this month. So four months maybe. Yeah, I think one of the things that I really like to say is that this is really a hard transition. If you're going from, again, sales led to product led, it's really a hard transition. And I've been talking to folks, for example, at OpenView or even with US offline, there's, there's not a lot of companies doing this. Some of them really give up in the beginning. I don't think we're going to give up. We're in this. The product is getting better as we go. And that's what we care about. Then one of the things that I quickly realized was we had a high touch on our DNA. From the moment someone engages with us, there's that premium experience. And then our product was great. And we created this amazing product that assumed that it was someone hand-holding the person through it. Now, and it's not just about taking that and putting it in self-serve because your product we realized that a lot of folks that I talked to realize it, people will start to use the product without the handholding and they, they're going to fail. And so that's one of the hardest, I guess, things. It's recognized that you have that DNA. It's not that your product is worse. It wasn't built for, for self-service and you need to be able to monitor, find those gaps and improve the, and improve the product. I guess the other two things is I thought it would be easier to do this. And because I thought, we thought it would be easier, we sold it as easier than it's being. And at some point in time throughout the year, we had to say, hey, folks, 
we thought it, we made a mistake. We underestimated how hard this transition would be. It's going to take longer. We're still in a good path. And so we had to have that tough conversation with everyone at the company and it's all good. So it leads back to the other thing, which is setting the right expectations. As I said before, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And that's one very important topic, specifically when you're talking to sales, right? Sales organizations and companies, they need to make their numbers and they're very aggressive pursuing those numbers and whatnot. And so it's unfair to create the expectation to this group that this will solve their pipeline generation or this will be a big contributor to their pipeline generation in three quarters. It's not going to happen. I'm going to say this very clearly. None of the folks that I talked to, and I talked to a lot of folks going doing this, has done this in less than 18 months to three years. It's, it's a tough transition. You've got to believe in it. You've got to persevere through it. But it's not an aspirin. Right? It's a vaccine and it takes a long time. I mean, I couldn't have a worse analogy. <laughs> no. I'll give you another analogy about this because like, I think one of the big things that got me into product that growth and so excited about this is really just, it is kind of like an iceberg. On the top, you just see like, okay, maybe there's a free trial for a model. That's kind of what brought me in. I'm like, oh, I'm just like optimizing all these things around there. And then I started researching it. And then I had the course with CXL at that time around product-led growth. And I just had like three months to just like deep dive research on this topic. And then I got so excited about it. I'm like, oh my goodness, this <laughs> first course probably wasn't the best because I was just like, there's so much here. Yeah. And it's just unbelievable. And so that kind of got me more excited to dive deeper and write the book on it too. But I do really appreciate you taking the time, are you, to kind of take that step back, look at like what you did during this whole time to really move the needle, get it systems becoming more product-led. And I'm really excited to just have these consistent checkpoints as you're making this transition because every time, honestly, every time I do see a massive difference. And so for those listening, Mario has other product-led summit talks on just like the first principles of product-led growth. One of the things that Mario is fantastic at doing is just analyzing other companies and finding throughout all the, the mess and the chaos of the company, what are they really focusing on when it comes to product-led growth? And another recommendation, if you're making this transition, is just look at somewhat similar companies. What are they doing if they are already product-led? I know a lot of people kind of roll their eyes when they say like, just be like Slack. Like it's terrible advice because yes, they're product-led, but I mean, they're also a unicorn. So it's really hard to compare yourself to them. And so sometimes it's worth looking at just other people in your category, maybe outside your category that operate the kind of business you would like to operate just do case studies on them. I even do this for my own business. I do like teardowns of how they operate their business. And you can learn some fantastic things very quickly, much faster than you would if you were just analyzing your business. And that is because you're looking for patterns. And the faster you can find and identify that pattern, the faster you're going to be able to improve your business um, based on what the insights are from that. So aligned on this, Thank you, Mario, again, for coming on here. Thank you. This has been a blast. And for anyone who wants to learn more about you and what you're up to, where can they find out more info? Yeah. Thank you, Wes. They can find me on LinkedIn. They can find me on the Slack group of the Product Lab uh, Growth Community. I'm there. Reach out. Would love to continue the conversation.
offline, sort of. <laughs> offline, but online. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, I hope you enjoy your espresso in your beautiful coffee shop there. And I thank you again for coming on and have an amazing day. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.